It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. Uh, Dr. Oriana, you're going to be leading us today, and we're going to talk about virtual leadership in decentralized teams leading from anywhere. And I guess we're going to talk a little bit about remote and hybrid work today. Absolutely. That's where we're headed. There's lots of interesting questions that are emerging. We've seen a great shift in our working world and how we perceive our working environment and where we should be. A lot of companies are struggling to get their employees back into the office, even in a hybrid model. And we're also seeing increasingly a large proportion of the job market and those who are unemployed or seeking a new position, they are applying for those remote positions. So this begs the question, should organizations be a little more open-minded to remote work? And if so, how do we foster the best performance possible and support employees in feeling engaged with the culture? So to kick off this conversation, I'm going to reference a few different articles, and I'll put the citations in the chat for those who are joining today, and hopefully we can put them um, as a part of the notes for the session for those who are joining in our podcast session. Uh, That sounds great. Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) Wonderful. Thanks, Tom. So the first study that I'm referencing is called Virtual Leadership in Relation to Employees' Mental Health, Job Satisfaction, and Perceptions of Isolation. And they examined 19 different studies that met their criteria for their review study. And the overarching findings suggested a positive link between virtual leadership and employee well-being and job satisfaction. So I think that's very interesting that remote work can boost employee well-being and job satisfaction, although they also found negative correlations as well. And remote work was negatively correlated to psychological strain and stress and perceptions of isolation. So I'd love for us to talk about this as we go into the session. It can enhance well-being, but also increase stress, 
Why do you think that is? Another takeaway is from a study called Enrichment of Virtual Teams Management Through Communication, where they were really looking at the effect that communication has on the remote setting. And they found that the type of communication has a big impact on virtual teams' performance, loyalty, competency, and satisfaction. So they referenced the importance of communication enhancing this competency, satisfaction, loyalty, and trust. And managers or team leaders should find a balance in the frequency of communication um, and how often they're contacting their team. So I find this personally very interesting because I think we're grappling with this idea of how many meetings is too many meetings. How does it feel if you're a boss and you just video call your employee at any time of the day? How does this feel? So I'm going to start there and see if anyone in our audience has any comments that they want to make on this topic. And we'll see where the conversation goes. Uh, this conversation could go a lot of different directions. Um, <laughs> and this is actually where, where Jeremy and I first met. Uh, we were getting together with a couple other people and trying to give advice to people at, uh, I think we started about six months into the lockdown, uh, trying to give people and businesses information on how to bring their employees you know, into the online world and how do you transition overnight <laughs> into the, a remote economy because we were all forced onto that page. But it wasn't the start. You know, it goes back to like, I think the 1980s when IBM went, hey, let's try this. And they took like five or six workers and it turned out to be really effective. And then we sort of saw at the start of the lockdown, everybody was online. Everybody was using Zoom. We <laughs> we were wasting a lot of time because we were isolated and all of a sudden we were talking to people. So there wasn't a lot of talk about business at the time. It was all, how are you doing? Um, so we wasted a lot of time. And for some people uh, who didn't know some of the first things about using things like video, we started to see Zoom fatigue, Zoom dysmorphia. Um, I found it really interesting because I started to notice people getting really tired because people weren't blinking. People were focused so hard on the video screen that they weren't blinking. Their eyes are drying out. It dehydrates the body. Uh, <laughs> so no wonder after six hours on screen, you're feeling a little tired. Uh, so there was a lot of advice. And all of a sudden, you sort of see the shift of we have no idea what we're doing to some of us are figuring it out. And it works really effectively. And we had the opportunity to talk to some remote-only companies who had been doing it for years. It was interesting talking to Liam Martin of Time Doctor, who basically went, you know, before the pandemic hit, nobody wanted to talk to us. Six weeks into it, everybody wanted to talk to us. So it sort of became this, oh, my God, this is actually a really effective way to work, especially if you know how to use it and implement it the right way. And then things got better, and all of a sudden, we started to see companies going, I don't care how good this works. I want you back in my office because I don't trust you, and I don't know if you're working if I can't see you. So <laughs> now we see major corporations who are basically going, if you don't want to come back to the office, find another job. And people are because they have discovered, for, for and once again, it's not for everybody, but you can actually establish a better work-life balance if you know what you're doing. So I've rambled on for a while now. So Linda Ann, let's go to you. So I, have a, I, I, I spent significant time trying to figure, get information on this and really put it into how, what my experience has been and, and, and what this means for others. And first, I think that it's very important for anybody in that leadership position 
to understand that all of this takes time and practice. This is not something that you can read the article and go, yeah, I know, and then think it's going to fix the problem when you go back into your Zoom meetings or your your workforce or whatever. So it's very important to realize that this is a process and it's a practice and you're never going to get there, you know, in the first two weeks. Um, So the two elements that I think are most um, or that are high on the list are the element of lack of trust as everyone has has not everyone but it's it's been acknowledged already today um and the feeling of lack of control right so there's the those are two things that are important to acknowledge when you're talking about trust when you're in the same space as someone else and and you're having a conversation with an employee and whatever and you happen to put your hand on their back or whatever those have physical reactions and create trust that doesn't happen virtually. And so you have to work harder at establishing those levels of trust. And you have to make sure that, you know, the, the communication is transparent, that they understand where they're going. It's just like a lot of children have um, trouble making change, like if they're transitioning or whatever. And if you preface the process saying, okay, in five minutes, we're going to get in the car and go to, you know, grandma's or whatever, they handle that change better. They handle that process better. And so if you can do something similar with your employees, so they understand the parameters, the boundaries, the, the rules of the road, and how this is going to, and, and your operating systems, then that will go a long way to developing and fostering some of that trust that's missing in the virtual experience. The other thing is with the feeling of, of lack of control, if you can start to reframe and put on the mind the hat of I'm going to look at this from a different perspective and and start pulling some of those pieces of your paradigm putting them to the side because they're not really serving you in how you're working and reframe it into getting some different perspectives and that can be really something that you can um tap your employees into giving you those different perspectives so that you can have a different process, a newer process for addressing some of these issues. And even that can go a long way into building that trust. Yeah, that that sort of, you know, let's start there. Let's start with that. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I think it's obvious to see that for the companies that experimented with remote work and some of them embraced the idea before COVID, they were doing it for different reasons and they found a balance and they made their decisions accordingly. But when COVID hit, so many companies were given the option to either jump on board, figure out a way to do it in a remote capacity for their employees or to shut down. Those were the only two choices. So it was more of a knee-jerk reaction. If you want to stay in business, this is the only way to do it right now. So there's a big, big difference in terms of motivation. And many of those companies are committed to a physical location in one way or another, which I think is part of what's driving the push to bring people back into the office. That is definitely a part of the equation for some organizations. When you have these empty spaces that you are still maintaining and paying for, and yet there's no one there, I think that there's um, a psychological reaction to that, that we need to fill those offices back with people in order to justify the rent or 
whatever um, utilities, whatever you're paying for. In terms of trust and control, Linda Ann started to, to talk about this. There has to be a shift in how organizations view their employees and the employees' input. If as an organization, your focus is the end results from your employee, then you don't need to micromanage them. You don't need to put your hand on their back. You don't need to talk to them every five minutes. You don't need to walk by their office. If they are producing the results that you agreed, the two of you agreed upon, then what's the problem, right? If it works for a certain employee to work remotely, whether that's because they find their work-life balance better defined that way or whatever the case may be, and you're not driven by this need to repopulate your building because it's empty and scary looking, it's a whole different approach to work, which is why I think so many companies that started remote work as an option long before the pandemic were able to make a decision on whether or not that worked for them without any other pressure other than the results they were getting. So there are many moving parts here, but for organizations to truly thrive, I think they have to become more flexible and realize that the workforce is changing, which is why so many people have made changes in their lives in terms of their jobs. They are not willing to sacrifice certain things and they they want to do things a different way and they're willing to make the changes that are necessary for that. So <clears throat> the bottom line is everybody needs to be flexible and everybody needs to be able to compromise to some degree to come together and make this work in the most successful way possible. Uh, you know, you're absolutely right. And, you know, hybrid or remote is not going to be for everybody. We need that variety if you want to have the best people working for you, you need to give them, I think anyways, that variety about how they want to work. And I think it's important that, you know, once again, we're sort of hitting on communication, that if you're going to move forward, you've got to improve communication. Um, let me actually talk to Martha before we move on to Lee. How are we doing with communication? Is our corporations and companies from the large ones right down to the moment's pops, are they effective with communication or is it sort of one of those things where, well, we all talk, so we must be good at communication? I think it still varies. Some companies, regardless of their size or age of the organization, are better at it than others, right? Because you can talk endlessly and say nothing. So there are companies that seem to over-communicate, but nothing is truly communicated. Things that come to mind are the never-ending meetings or the endless number of meetings, and none of them accomplish anything. There are other organizations that seem to be so tight-lipped. Nobody's telling anybody anything, right? So, so there's a wide range. Some organizations are doing a good job, and I think overall that is improving because the lack of communication is backfiring. And when you don't have people on site it can become that much more evident that you're not communicating with them because you're now walking by their office and saying hello. And you might think that that's all it takes for communications to be adequate. But when they're not there and you haven't talked to them for days and now you're wondering what they're doing, that becomes more apparent that there is a, a genuine need 
to rethink what communications means and what the goal of it is for both sides. So I think, generally speaking, organizations are improving and they are doing better. But in the grand scheme of things, there are still organizations on either end of that spectrum. Great. Well, from one great communicator to another, Lee, let's go to you. Well, thanks for that, Tom. Um, Yeah, a couple of things here. I mean, one, I think that it's, you know, there is a control aspect to this. And I think that I don't know that it's it necessarily is a need to be in control as much as feeling out of control. Because when we went into the to the pandemic, everybody, oh my God, we're all gonna die, go home. But there's no contingency for that. And so now I'm out of control. What am I doing? What are we doing? We don't know. And so there's a lot of uh, a feeling of being out of control there. And and you know, some people adjusted and did fantastic, and others they just went high and right and they just overreacted. And now we've got micromanagement going on because they think they're trying to, to make their world feel more stable. I mean, cause there's a lot of stress in, in the, in just in the world at that time. And, and it translated over, um, you know, and, and of course there is the whole real estate thing too, because I mean, there's a lot of, I, I was, I was at one of my company's offices a couple of weeks ago and it's pretty empty. I mean, to the point where they have taken the majority of our building and they made them hoteling spaces. So unless you work in the building all the time, you don't have an office or a desk or anything. They have just you know, done away with that. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting. The, the, you have the dichotomy in the military of both being flexible and not changing very fast, which is kind of an interesting you know, combination. So when, when, when it went out, I never thought I would spend my last year and a half in uniform at home. And, but I did. And, they they actually responded quickly. And a lot of those things, especially technologically, we don't go very fast. And so, you know, they got, uh, you know, a DOD-wide, you know, teams and, you know, an online suite and all these things that we all of a sudden, people who didn't have government laptops could actually get online and participate. Uh, they they re-imaged a bunch of desktops with laptop images so that they could get them on the VPN and everything. Because they weren't apparently said they weren't set up for that before, and so all of a sudden people could take desktops home and be able to actually log in and and do their work, and all this stuff happened in just a few months. I mean, you know, because we all went out what late March, and by June most of this stuff was online, and you know it was in large part business as usual in a lot of ways, which was amazing. I mean, in my entire time, I was just like you know, you know, the whole thing the ship didn't turn on a dime. Well, this time we did. And uh, it, it was pretty shocking, um, you know. And now in the civilian sector, I work on a I work on a contract that we are primarily uh, remote, or we call it hybrid, which basically means you got to live close enough to come in when we need you to. Yeah. Uh, it was fully remote, and now they're wanting everybody, you know, new people to coming in to be closer. Um, but for the most part, we're we all work remote, even for those who live in the DC area, and so. It's all done through meetings. It's all done through chat. It's all done through uh, Slack and email. And the, you know, you got to resist the the urge to, you know, meet to death. I mean, when I took this position, one of the first things I did is cancel most of the meetings my predecessor had in place because they were ridiculous and repetitive. And my people were like, oh, my God, we love you already. And, you know, and. So we, and then I try to end the ones we do have early because we don't need to be in those meetings all that time. And, you know, we handle it in chat. 
you know, we have group chats and we just throw, throw stuff out there for stuff throughout the day. Plus that helps people to not feel alone because there's stuff coming in and they can ask a question and get an answer and they don't have to call anybody. They can actually just be able to do that. And then, you know, take that a step further, uh, our little Friday stand up, I turned it mostly into a social time, you know, because we don't have the water cooler. We don't have the coffee break. And so I can go up and I can say, how are things going? How did your kids ball game turn out? You know, how are you feeling? You know, what do you guys got going on this weekend? And through that, we have been able to get to know each other better. You know, people I've never met in person. And it helps people be more comfortable with each other. And to, and it does increase that trust. Um, also, one thing, my predecessor was a major micromanager, which was insane. And so when I took over and the people are like, oh, what do you want me to do with this? I'm like, I want you to do your job. Uh, like, look, if I need to do your job, I don't need you. So I have my own work. I need you to do your job. So I am empowering you to do your job. Talk to who you need to talk to. Do what you need to do. If you need me to prove something, fine, but you don't need to ask me for every single thing. I have other stuff to do. And people were kind of uncomfortable at first because they were used to that. But once they kind of got it, they're like, really? Really? And they get all excited. Yeah, you can do that. You know, you, you're here by deputized. Go, go, go out and do great things. So it, it's, but it's amazing how those little things all add up. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, they're, they're, if you look at the way that remote organizations are using synchronous and asynchronous communication, they actually have figured some things out that make it much more efficient and works really, really well. Uh, Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And we talk about, you know, what's better for, for individuals as far as work, remote, you know, in office, all that. Um, you know, there was a lot of ready, fire, aim as everybody got out through the pandemic and it had to be done. And now that they're, you know, things have settled down to normal, people want to go back to the way that it was because that, that out of control feeling of, I can't see my people, I, you know, there's no room to, to instill the culture through those, those hallway conversations and things like that. I think that's where leadership really does have to, to step up. You know, you've, you've got to make a decision for your organization and say, we are in the office because of X, Y, Z. Um, I had an interview with a company uh, in Northern Colorado that they they wanted their office staff back in the building because the primary was, you know, production lines and things like that. So they didn't want to create a wider gap between uh, us and them, so to speak. And so they said, this is why we're in office. And I was looking for a remote position at the time and I didn't, you know, I didn't walk away from that going, oh, they just want the office because they want the control. They actually had a cultural reason for being in the office. And I think that if you are deliberate with the decisions that you make as far as, okay, we are an in-office company because we value seeing everybody's faces and taking that coffee break to, to see how the kids are and everything like that. And, you know, or we're hybrid because people do need the flexibility. The only trap that I know when I was in a, a territory management role I had a laptop. I could always log in for when I was in the field, but if it was a snow day or anything like that, all of a sudden, well, you can log in from home and, and still do what you need to do where, you know, other people in the organization had to be there to, to turn screws or, or sweep the floors and things like that. So it did get to feeling like, well, we have the technology, but we're only going to use it when it benefits the organization. And that's another sort of choice that I think people will have to, to face down 
And I think boundaries and boundary setting is a huge conversation. You know, maybe it's good to be in the office because you have the physical location queue. This is where I do my work. And, you know, when I'm not here, I don't have to worry about it. And you can set those boundaries up. I know that there was a lot of discussion about people having to reveal more about their their livelihood and their situation um, because they're sitting in their living room and their kids are homeschooling and things they never wanted to talk about. Now they it's on screen. And so it's fair game for, for the team to, to wonder and, and clarify and all that. So it, it's a lot of things that I think leadership has to step up and steer the ship and be deliberate in why they're doing what they're doing, how they're doing what they're doing, gets back to communication about how do we project that to our company and is it in line with, with the values up and down. Sounds like we're in a world where leaders may actually have to lead. Um, <laughs> that'd be a nice uh, experience for a change. Uh, Natasha, let's go to you. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Um, so I wanted to go back to a point that, to Linda Ann's point, um, in essence, about, you know, the feeling of lack of trust and lack of control um, that I personally would like to also translate into a lack of relationship. Um, I think that when it comes down to the remote work, um, I think that when we first started going off, when we first started working remotely, um, it was a shift that many people had to make overnight. And there were a lot of adaptation that needed to be done, but employees came through, they adapted. Um, they were able to get the work done through technical adjustments, difficulties, and through it all. And for the longest, um, we were really advertising remote work as the future of work. Um, and all of a sudden, we're now backpedaling on this and saying, oh, no, but it's no longer the future of work. Um, we have to come back to the office for culture, for this, for that. Um, I don't have a great grasp on my employees. When in reality, those of the managers, leadership and organizations that had great relationships with their employees pre-COVID, that translated post-COVID into the remote work environment. And a lot of the people who are saying that, hey, remote work is a hindrance to culture it only reflects the culture that was within your organization pre-COVID. Um, and so ultimately, working remotely is not what's destroying your culture. Working remotely highlights the wrong of your culture. And I think this is where we as leaders really need to sit back and truly ask the questions of whether or not remote work working within the office is really about being there and supporting our employees and that it is an employee-centric focus? Or is it truly about just leadership wanting to have control over its employees? Um, and I say this because, and I, I will add this tidbit, um, as a Black woman um, who works in HR and have worked with a lot, you know, work in HR, um, during COVID, with the you know everything that transpired racially across the nation and how it bled into the workforce as it relates to the racial tensions that we saw across the nation, 
a lot of employees of color, mainly Black employees, all said, I am so happy that I'm working remotely because I no longer have to deal with microaggressions. This is a safe space for me. And sometimes when I don't feel like show, when I cannot show up as my full self, I have the option of turning off my camera and still being present in that meeting. Whereas if I'm in the office, I now have to force myself to smile, to put on a game face so that I'm not viewed as aggressive or not interested or not collaborative or a great team member. And even with the protection, the added protection and layer and, you know, safe space that remote work has given to these employees, a lot of them have also said, and the sad part about working remotely is a lot of the microaggressions and aggressions that I experience in the office, I no longer have the division of home and work anymore. And that a lot of these aggressions and microaggressions are now being translated remotely. And that when I'm sitting in my bedroom or in my living room, those same bad behaviors that my manager or leadership or colleagues had towards me, they're now carrying them into my household. And now I still have to pretend to be, to just take it in and not react. And I feel as though oftentimes when organizations are saying, everybody needs to come back, Are we really listening to the employees to understand, hey, I would like to have the flexibility of having a hybrid schedule, or actually, I do need to be in the or in the company so that I can, you know, you know, have the water cooler moments and be able to feed my creative juices or whatever it is. Are we really listening to our employees? Are we listening to people who are writing articles and saying, this is the future. No, no longer the future. This is the past. This is what we're doing now. Or are we really doing it because we want control and we don't trust our employees because we do not have a relationship with them and therefore do not know what works best for them, what motivates them, what fuels them, and how do we get the best return of, of investment off of them? You know, you, I think you've hit on something incredible there. You know, Dr. Jeremy often talks about if you've got a new employee, you know, if if you're the manager or the leader and like in the first week you spend 15 minutes just, hey, welcome to the company and how are you? It increases productivity. So once again, establishing those communication uh, networks between people, not something that a lot of people are good at and we need to improve. Uh, Noel, let's go to you. Yes, I, I like that input, especially on the, the issue of inclusivity as well. We, we spoke about the issue of remote work and its potential to improve um, thinking processes around, especially around project planning. In psychology, we talk about group think and polythink, you know. So remote work sometimes because the potential to get people from different geographic locations, you know, different locales and regions, you could, you know, avoid a lot of, you know, group think, you know, which is thinking within, you know, the mindset, which can replicate some of those microaggressions that, you know, uh, previous speaker was talking about. Um, we can avoid those and, you know, work, work towards polythink, which is um, embracing diversity of thought, you know, which is inevitable when you include people from various locations. So I, I think quantity is important and, yeah, needs analysis has to be done to analyze the needs of companies, for example. Um, 
a workforce training company which, which, which trains plumbers, for example, electricians. We have to have instructor designers working in office, you know, to, to actually, you know, interact physically with those people. But, you know, in my case, I work for an online high school or I work for an online training solutions, you know, um, freelance as well. And it doesn't make sense, you know, why there's, you know, push towards pushing people to work in the office, you know, in some of our, in our, in our, in our setups. So I, I guess if analyze the needs of the specific company for sure, but also not blame remote, because people blame remote work for communication breakdown, which is not really fair because I think remote work forces us to think different about communication and forces us to engage that there's also ways to engage online and how we can do it in a way that respects the flexibility of trying to create around the job um, regime. So for example, of people are reporting that because of remote work, they can now actually pick up their kids, drop off their kids, or they have a stress about traffic, you know, in between. They can be, you know, part of their kids' sports events, you know. Um, they just report better um, work-life balance in, in, that, in that sense. You can finish your work in the morning, for example, and then, you know, do something else in the you know, afternoon and maybe go back to the evening, you know. But it does, it does raise challenges then maybe the, the previous speaker spoke about the right to disconnect in, in, a, in a way. Sometimes remote work, because of that flexibility, some people then, if you have a bad culture already, then the right to disconnect becomes very difficult to enforce, you know. What are the working hours? Can someone then ping me at midnight because, you know, they want something done, you know. Um, so it's, it's, it's not it's not a, a panacea to culture, I think, remote work per se. It's, it's, it also has cultural challenges that we, we, we confront with the remote work setups that can replicate some of the inequalities that we talk about, you know. But it is it is something that you can engage in. The actual generation of people who've never worked in the office. You know, if we talk about millennials, some of especially Gen Zs now, we talk about working in the office, they look at you like, you know, you're talking about something alien, you know, because Gen Zs graduated recently and worked remotely in, in COVID times, and they're now telling the same generation of people who are comfortable in remote work setups to come to the office because of culture. Uh, you know, it, it, to them, it's gaslighting them because that's the culture they're familiar with is working from home and living in the moment um, and living life, you know, beyond, you know, workspaces. So it, it's tricky, I guess. I, it depends on who you're talking to. You're talking to older people, you know, who are familiar with office setups or some of us who, yes, are familiar briefly with office setups, but have worked mostly remotely. And we acknowledge that the challenges with remote work, but you're also trying to, market opportunities for remote work to better the work environment going forward. Yeah, I've talked to some young people and, you know, <laughs> who have worked remotely most of their career, if not all of their career. And, and they tell me, I have no interest in going into an office. Like, I don't know why the rest of you are doing. <laughs> so thank you very much for that. Carolyn, let's go to you. Hello, everyone. Nice to see you guys again. Um, this whole conversation is something that's so real and, and so valid to many of us from many different perspectives and and listening to Leanne talk earlier, excuse me for looking at my notes, you know, you were talking about boundaries and, and operating systems and that communication thing. And then it turned around and we were talking about the trust in employees. And then, uh, you know, Lee was talking about how he controlled the group and stuff, you know, how he handles and he manages. And it's just interesting then to go into what all the way up to where Noel was just talking. And the concept that just kept coming through my head is that First of all, with remote work, not everybody wants to be remote. We've talked about that. Um, some people work better in the office. You know, some people 
that's how you were talking about the culture that we were brought up in and where we know work to have been in our whole life. So when I thought about all of this or was I, when I was listening to everyone, the thought kept coming up. Have we talked to these employees? Where are we at with these employees? But where are we with ma- uh, management? So when we're talking about building that trust, we're always talking about the trust in the employees and what we expect from the employees and so on, which took me back to Linda Ann's comment. And the only thing I didn't hear was, what about clarifying and communicating the expectations? I, as an employee, need this. I, as a manager, need this. I had someone come to me recently and they said, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why it is that I'm having problems with my leader. I never hear from them. One time they said their their manager was messaging him on Teams and made the comment, "Uh, do you have a minute? And the employee said, "Uh, I'm working. Yeah, I'm green on Teams. Yeah. And then when they talked to the supervisor, the supervisor said, oh, I just didn't want to bother you. I know that you're really busy and got a lot to do. You're my boss. You know, where is that expectation? And then then from the other side of it, we were talking a little bit about um, how as employees, we have certain expectations within ourselves of what we expect from our manager. But a manager may have that style where all they know is managing an environment where I can see you. We need to give them grace too. There is a learning curve for all of us. Just because you're a manager does not necessarily mean that you have all those skills inherent in you to know how to work in a remote environment, especially if you've been a manager for a number of years. I think, Lee, you were talking about the government organizations and and the military. We're used to seeing people hands-on, you know what I'm saying? So when they're all of a sudden out of your review, what do you do? Let me ask you a question. Somebody brought up children earlier. All of a sudden, you say, kids, go off, be good. How many times do you worry or think about what are they doing? I'm not comparing employees to children, but a lot of times you can put those scenarios back together. So I ask, you know, what is it that we're doing when we're building that trust? And then the other piece um, that I believe was Natasha that was talking about, I could be wrong, we were talking about um, the culture and, and micro inequities and microaggressions. When this happens, we also need to truly consider the ones that we're not thinking about, such as the employees that are working at home because they're more comfortable, whether it's because of race or disability or just comfort or family or whatever that reason is, we need to pause and realize that they're working at home for a reason because they're finding themselves more productive in that environment. With that being said, on the flip script, if somebody chooses to go into the office, we need to be careful as leaders, as organizations, as managers, and as team members to not give them all the attention and forget about the people at home. Because I see that happening where they're getting the projects or they're getting the information and it should not be a discrepancy there or disparity there either because that could be looked at differently as well. So with those things, I I think that those are some key points that we should definitely be considering. And then as far as the, um, the control factors, we each can only control ourselves. We've learned that along the way. But there is a thing of managing up or managing around us. So having those open conversations and having that ability to say, hey, how about this? Or can we do that? I think it's just a balance that we've all got to work on. And it's not going to be something that happens overnight, even though remote work did. You know, the the working it out is going to be a little bit different. I think we need to trust in ourselves. We need to trust in the different mindsets of each other. And we need to give each other grace. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I I think it was Len Gaudet of Gagalamp I was talking to, who, once again, a remote company. And he told me that, you know, he hired a remote accountant 
And I think it was three years into their, uh, you know, working together, he finally met the person and went, oh, I didn't know you were disabled. <laughs> so, you know, if he couldn't see it, he didn't know it was actually happening. And it didn't make any difference. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. There's been so many rich thoughts presented this morning. Um, one, I wanted to go back to to Dr. Martha's uh, communication topic and 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 with Lee, you know, the different meetings and so forth. And, and when I work with clients, one of the things I say to them, if you can't write an agenda for your meeting, then you don't need your meeting. Right. There should be a purpose on the on the agenda. What are we here to accomplish? And then two or three things. It doesn't need to be a big, huge agenda. But if you can't write an agenda for the meeting, you don't need the meeting. And then um, what I find is a lot of times that leaders tend to be in their heads too much where they know that they're addressing these issues and these topics and all those kinds of things. But that information never flows down. And so you've got all these employees that feel a little bit like mushrooms, you know, they're kept in the dark and they, uh, so, and they're, they're what's in their head is more personal goals, what they need to accomplish versus organizational goals and communicating how we are, wh- what those really are, how we contribute and are we getting there? So, um, that's those those are a couple of things and another thing related to the overwhelm that can be associated with um communication as an organization as a leader define what you believe to be a reasonable response time we do not need to respond immediately to every freaking thing and it really gets in the way so you can, you know, at, at the end of the day, if you go or two hours from now or three hours from now, if you go ahead and look at your team's thread, you can go, oh, that t- that's already taken care of. I don't need to respond to that. I don't need to respond to that. And I don't need to respond to that. So I think that that that's an important thing. The other, um, as far as hybrid and, and flexibility and work, I think we need to take a step back because when you look at the needs of the different stages of life of your workers, some of your Gen Zs really do want to be at work because that's their social life or their social interaction to some degree. And that doesn't always need to be within your company, but um, they want to be back. But then as they evolve as an employee um, with your company, they may have that toddler now and they need to be or that middle schooler that has to go to piano and soccer practice. So there's different stages where there needs to be different levels of flexibility. It's not just in a flexibility in any given day. So I should have a job that works with my life. There's a unique thought. <laughs> Wherever you might be in that your stage of life, right? Yeah, I, I like that idea a lot. I think that's something everyone should should grasp. We got lots of hands. Let's go to Alexander. Hello. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my experiences. So I definitely come from more of the Gen Z side. I did not attend school um, in person growing up. Most of my school was through online mediums um, if i needed support with questions it was either video chat or messaging with professors to be able to get that growing up through school excuse me and throughout most of my jobs they have largely either been hybrid or fully remote um, so through that through most of my life i've learned how to work remotely extremely well because that's really where i'm more comfortable than working in person um, but i have been that kind of senior executive. I was the only one who was still in my 20s at one time. The closest person to me was in their 40s, mid 40s on our executive team of the company. And so 
during that, I have seen those people that are having more of those trust issues who haven't learned how to do those coping systems of how to work remotely with others. There's a lot of technology out there to be able to know what your employees are doing and to be able to not have to do the meetings like Lee has talked about. And I've seen those managers who don't use those technologies out there and think they have to do meetings with everyone constantly. And so there's a lot of different tools that are out there and available, but a lot of companies haven't really invested in not only the technologies to be able to do this, but the capital of the humans that they might have who actually have those skills and have led remote teams successfully for years and promoting them or having the conversations with them to get your other leaders up to speed on how do we really work really well with this. When COVID happened, I worked with one market research company to help get them online because one of their biggest differentiators for their market was they actually weren't remote. They had in-person space where they could host meetings with people. And there was like um, the one-way mirrors where companies could come in, they could watch in person, the interviews being done and the research. And so that was a really big part of their business was in person. So we had to teach them how do we use these tools within the Microsoft systems that they had to be able to work remotely and be successful. Um, through the training, they actually loved it so much that they gave up their office space and are still today working completely remotely. And it's been really successful for them. So there are success cases out there, but you do have to invest in the people who know how to make those cases successful but you also have to have the leadership who's willing to take those learning initiatives and get out of their own way, in essence, to be able to learn and adapt to these new changes. And that's where I think we're finding a lot of people just haven't been able to make those adaptions successfully. I'm just yeah. going to leave it right there. Thank yeah. you, guys. Oh, you're very, very welcome. And yeah, you, you may be dealing with people who look like me, <laughs> who, who I'm old. I don't want to change. Um, but change is good. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. That was very well said, Alexander. I think the takeaway here is that there are industries where remote work makes more sense. There are industries where you really do need people on, on site. You can't have everybody at Macy's, let's say, for example, all of a sudden go remote. Would you let the customers run wild in the store and have an honor system going because everybody's working remotely. So there are positions within companies that are more suited for remote, remote work. And then as was said throughout our time together, we have to consider the individual as well. What works for some, uh, for one individual may not work for another. What works for an individual today may not be the same thing as two years or five years from now, the opportunity and responsibility for everybody, but especially for management and leadership, since that was kind of the, the whole idea of today's topic was to be able to learn and adapt because we are living in a world where there is on-site and hybrid and remote. And as Alexander was saying, there are tools, there are technologies so it is the responsibility of every organization out there to make sure that their management and leadership has the adequate training, not only in the technology, but also the, the social training, the interpersonal training of not only how to 
actually use these tools and technologies, but how to handle and how to manage and how to lead a team that may include people from every aspect of this experience, on-site, hybrid, remote, ever-changing. So it's a tremendous learning opportunity. And with that, we do have to recognize that everybody's learning. We're all learning as we go. And some people embrace embrace change more readily than others. Some people are more excited about change uh, than others. But that's okay. I think as long as we are cognizant of that and accepting of one another and the fact that change is the only constant in this universe and we have to keep up with it at least to some degree or we'll get left behind. I mean, that's the biggest takeaway. These are tremendous learning opportunities for everybody, but especially leaders and managers. So rather than think of how it used to be and how I like it and what was, think about what's going to be the best for your organization as a whole, for the workforce as a whole, and for the individuals within the workforce, so that you can, as an organization, move forward and truly compete in today's market. Because whether or not you're for-profit, non-profit, or anything else, you're always competing with someone. Right? You, you want the best talent to be on your team. If, as someone else brought up earlier, your culture is being tested by this new way of doing things, well, you need to address some things in your culture. Let's not just dig our heels in, but rather, again, embrace the learning opportunity and be gentle with ourselves and one another because we are all learning. But as long as we're moving forward, we'll be okay. Is it, let me ask you, is, is, is this another occasion? I think we've talked about this a number of times on Work Cookie, where you know we talk about hard skills and soft skills, and then we change soft skills to people skills because we didn't like soft skills. But really, we've gone through like a, a generation, it seems now, where soft skills are, have been looked down upon, and here we are now, where what we really need are soft skills training. So, are, are, is that what we're still lacking, especially in leadership? I we need all the skills. We like to focus on things and this is the word of the day or the phrase of the day and we're going to push this. But the bottom line is we need all the skills. We need to know how to do the stuff. We need to know how to use the software. We need to know how to use the technology and we need to know how to deal with people and communicate with people, interact with people, right? And then it always... Uh, goes back to those skills we we learned in kindergarten, right? Let's not forget those. Those may be old and back in the day, that's what we learned when we were kids, but they're all valid. So we need all of those skills. So whatever somebody chooses to focus on as the, the flavor of the day or the sparkly new thing or repackaged thing, we need all of the skills. Yeah, you, you need to learn how to turn Zoom on, and then you need to learn how to be good on Zoom. Uh, Emily, let's go to you. Hi, yes. Um, so I I will say I'm here more to learn than to give input. I am an, an IO newbie, pretty much. Um, I just started my first job working in employee engagement. Um, but this is a topic that is coming up a lot um, in my workplace. And I was kind of wondering if we could maybe touch on the idea of managers and directors that work from home because in my company we have about five or six directors that work from home 
Um, and some of their employees are remote and some of them are in offices and some of them are, there, are in offices that are hours away from them. Um, and I've been trying to kind of come up with like a, a concise idea about what I think about this. And I'm not I'm not sure. So I don't know if maybe I can kind of open that up um, to you guys uh, to get some input on that, because I don't I don't know what to think about it. Well, first of all, congratulations. Um, Thank you. <laughs> here at CBOC, we're big about IOs getting work and congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I'm sure there's lots of people who will chip in, but, you know, it, from somebody who deals with communication, you know, your executives need to have executive communication skills. Um, there's well over 100 years now of film and television. Well, film, uh, television, I think we're about 70 years now. And there are tricks that we've learned <laughs> to get people, you know, to have an empathetic relationship with us, to be appealing to people on camera and to way to use our voice to get people to take action. So, you know, turn to an actor every once in a while and ask them, how do you do well on screen? Um, and they might be able to share some stuff with you. Uh, but I'm sure there's lots of other information uh, from some of these experts that will come across. Um, anything else, Emily? Um, no. And that's why I said, I don't know if that's a topic for a different day or if anybody, I think I'm already connected with some of you on LinkedIn as well. So um, if any of you would be open to having a discussion with me about that, I would love that. Like I said, I was mainly here just to take in information, but that's one of the ones that's really coming up. Um, my work in something that I wasn't necessarily expecting. I hadn't heard of the idea of like a remote manager. Well, <laughs> it's coming. Uh, <laughs> Nick, Nick, let's go to you. I just, uh, Dr. Ariana put in the chat, you know, is it okay for employees to be more detached from the culture and how do we maintain it in a remote world? And I just, the, the thought that jumped into my head and I can type it out was, you know, what, what do organizations expect to get for their money? I think that that's, you know, that gets to that boundary setting idea of, yes, you pay my salary. We have a common goal. We're working to make the thing or, or you know, produce the product or, or anything like that. But, you know, some people are there for, for the paycheck and to go home. You know, we talk about engagement creates better environments, and that's absolutely true. But, you know, if somebody, if their want is to, I'm going to hang out on the Zoom call, I'm going to leave my camera off, I'm going to put in the work that is required for me, and this is more of kind of an exchange relationship than I'm so invested in the project, I'm so passionate about you know, telecommunications or whatever the industry may be, you know, that, that are we allowing those people to, to do that as far as are giving them the choice of how deeply they want to participate in the culture. Like, you know, are we giving people freedom to work in the way that's best for them um, and in the style that's best for them? And do all roles do that? And I think there's some point where practicality comes in and I pay your salary. This is what I'm paying for. This is what I expect. And we get to the idea of what is what is the bare minimum? And nobody wants to hang out at the minimum because we're all wanting to be so much more productive, have so much more reach and all of that. Um, but yeah, and I think the, the the centerpiece to my mind of this whole discussion becomes what worked in the office doesn't necessarily work remotely. They can inform one another, but it's a different set of skills. It's a different set of work and it's the realities become different. And to Emily's point about, you know, well, what about the manager who's working remotely and has people in you know various offices? It, it's the challenge. You're going to get some of these kind of, you know, what widely varied networks just in the new reality of work. Um, and I think that it does come down to communication. Do you do you do an email? Do you do video call? And what messaging is appropriate for each of the other formats? You know, I need you to step into my office and have a conversation about your performance. That's probably something that still needs to be face-to-face -face in the virtual world um, versus, hey, you know, we're giving kudos to everybody at the all-employee meeting. We can just send that out as a newsletter sort of thing. 
Uh, yeah, hundred um, percent. Natasha, let's go to you. Thank you. Um, I want to jump on something. Um, the question that Nick just brought up um, about you know employees being more detached from the culture, and if if that's okay, if not, what do we do about it? Um, I think one of the things that in my career as a human resources practitioner and employee experience manager and also DNI practitioner, um, one of the things that I am big on is agreed upon language. We have to agree on the language and culture is just organizational culture, company culture is just one of those words that I don't believe we often have the same understanding about it. Um, I worked for an organization, and if you asked the COO, what is the culture? It was a marketing and branding agency. And you asked the CEO, so what's the culture of the organization? We have pizza parties, free coffee, fee soda. You can wear jeans and... I was interviewing for another organization, most recently a leader in a leading organization in professional development. And when I asked my hiring manager, tell me a little bit about the culture of the organization. Well, as you know, we do the Gallup strength assessment tests um, to ensure that we're hiring for the right fit. I see your face, Linda Ann. <laughs> and, and, you know, I also work, I remember once working for as a recruiter and my hire, my direct manager um, was in an interview with me and we were interviewing a Black woman and the Black woman looked at me and she said, well, how would you describe the culture of the organization? And I told her, you know what? I think the organization, the culture of the organization is very welcoming. And I went on to tell her about my experience as in how I have experienced leadership, other colleagues, and how I strive to treat others that I work with. And immediately after that interview, my manager, who was a white woman um, and did not have a great report with the owners, as I did, told me, you need to be very mindful as to when you answer that question, because not everyone experienced the organization the way you experience it. And so while it being welcoming is your experience, that's not everybody else's. And my manager and I did not have a great relationship, but it did not. And when she gave me that piece of advice, it was not coming from a place of good intention. She was just looking for a reason to write me up or whatever. But it did not take away from the fact that the information was correct. And it forever changed how I support employees, how I speak with employees at all levels in the sense that I want to understand from you, how have you experienced the culture of this organization? What does the culture of this organization mean to you? And the answers will vary. And what I've come to realize is the culture of an organization is not who the organization says that it is, but ultimately it is the behaviors that we accept, that we tolerate, who we promote, who we demote, who we um, discipline, who we do not discipline. It is ultimately the languages that it is the spoken and unspoken things 
that allows us to understand what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Um, And I think that when we talk about culture, we really have to make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, And I just wanted to throw that there in a sense that, yes, there are people who will be detached from the culture because if they can't show up as their full selves and they don't see themselves within the organization, or let's say they file a complaint and nothing is done about it, or they were being harassed, abused by a manager for years, and you do nothing about it, they will be detached from the organization because you have told them we do not value. And therefore, I am going to come and it's going to be transactional. I do my work and you give me my paycheck. And so ultimately, again, as a leadership, as an organization, we need to step back and really think, what is the culture? What is the culture of organization? Who do we say we are, and how do we? How does that show up in the workplace? But who do our employee? How do our employees experience that, and what do they say our culture is? Um, and so that aside, one of the points that really came up a lot is you know training of managers and leaders. Um, we talked about them being a little bit flexible. We talked about them being able to learn and adapt and know how to use the technology, but also know how to do the work, et cetera. But one of the biggest issues that I have seen is not necessary before we even touch on the technology and managing remote teams is that oftentimes organizations, when promoting individuals, do not make the differentiation between a manager of people and a manager of product. There are a lot of great people who do great work and they get promoted as a result of how productive and how well they work as individuals. However, those people are not managers of people and oftentimes have very poor people management skills. And I think that it is something that you know, an L&D or we, we, we need to do a better job as, as um, I believe Dr. Gradet, I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name, mentioned earlier, we need to be proficient. We need to, all the skills are necessary. In a sense that when we're promoting people, we have to also make sure that, you know, our managers of people truly know how to manage people and know how to not just manage people, but also manage the individuals on their team because people come with different levels of strengths and people come with areas that need improvements. And how are you pouring into that individual or are you just telling them, figure it out? And so that's all I had to say for today, I guess. Well, that was great. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Uh, Dr. Oriana, uh, this is a great conversation. We're past the top of the hour. Is it okay if we go a couple more minutes? Yeah. Should we try and get the last three hands we have up, Tom? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Uh, so if, if you need to go, uh, thank you for joining us. But um, we're going to get to Linda Ann, Alexander, and Carolyn. So Linda Ann, um, I was watching your face too. <laughs> let's go to you. I'm a dead giveaway. Right. <laughs> Uh, a couple of things. One was when we're talking about leadership skills and soft skills and and hard skills, um, you know, especially with Deb and Colazzo doing Deb Colazzo and I doing those the leadership programs that we do, we've just redefined those as essential skills. There's no differentiation because there was a t- at a time there was a um, a gender uh, association with some of those skills, and that 
isn't really productive anymore. So you do need to know strategic planning. You do need to know budgeting. You need to know how to work the programs that you're working with. But all those other skills, the communication skills, your um, ability to be empathetic, your ability to um, uh, truly lead them as, as as a leader, those are all essential. In leadership today, you have to have all of those. And so when we talk about, there's about 15 different um, essential skills or core competencies that you really need to have as a leader. And you need to identify what, how you will develop your practices in order to gain those skills. The one thing I wanted to say to Emily was that when you're talking about leadership, it's leadership is not something, whether they're remote or they're in person or high, whatever they are. Leadership is not a certain one thing that you do to everyone. It's very individual. You lead all of the people who report to you as a leader, you handle on an individual basis based on what their needs are, how they communicate, um, what their goals are. And so every leadership interaction is an individual interaction. And it's not, you may dress some couple of people the same way, but that interaction in leadership is individual for every person. All right. Thank you. And that's the way that I've been kind of trying to do it. I've been, I've been meeting um, like one-on-one with all of the directors and the, the senior leadership within my company and kind of getting an idea um, of who they are as a person first um, and kind of seeing, you know, kind of identifying, you know, how to address things with individuals. Um, but I just, I don't know. It was just something that I'm hoping to learn a little bit more about um, before maybe I start having these conversations with them. So thank you. Turn that on. Um, check out the Work uh, Cookie Podcast Library. There's lots of great advice. Um, Alexander, over to you. So I forgot to mention this on my last kind of talk there, um, and that was as I've since COVID has happened and kind of before um, we have managed quite a few moves for our offices. So I wanted to address kind of that viewpoint as kind of someone who's been either working with the senior management of other companies or in the senior management position myself. And so kind of one of the things we're seeing is a lot of the companies are looking at, yes, the cost of the physical space, because it does have certain costs and those vary for each organization and what the contract terms are and why did they even get the space to begin with. Um, One manufacturing company we worked with used to have over a hundred people in office at their production facility. And then most of those people moved away. This was in Colorado. Um, and so it was extremely high cost of living. People, once COVID happened, fled as quickly as they could to low cost of living areas. And they would not take those jobs back if they were forced to move back to Denver. Um, and so companies like that, those companies are starting to reduce their spaces and they're moving to areas where they had i think it was around 45 people in person after that and so they found a space that was going to be more convenient for people to get to and it was going to cost less for them and should still meet those manufacturing needs i've worked with other companies in the uk currently in scotland specifically we have a ongoing government kind of trial if you will where companies are being kind of sponsored to reduce their work days to just a four-day work week. And so we're seeing those type of moves where companies are starting to reduce the amount of time that is in the actual work week, but also moving to hybrid roles or shared workspaces. 
moving back into Colorado though, because I've noticed this is a, it's a very specific Colorado spot. And I've actually did a lot of digging into the keywords and the construction companies and what people are searching for. And this is almost exclusive to Colorado. But because of the cost of living, especially in the mountainous areas, you can't even afford to have your workers there. For a lot of the ski resort towns, their workforce was already two towns over. And now that cost of living has exceeded what they can afford to make. So you have fire departments who are largely volunteer, right? And you can't ask someone to volunteer for your fire department and they're not even a part of your local community. It just doesn't work very well. You have entire workforces for the municipalities that they just can't afford to live in these towns. And so now you're starting to see a lot of subsidized housing for the employees, not just in the mountain towns, but it's actually starting to pop up in the Denver metro as well, because the cost of living is just too extraordinary for people to be able to afford. So I think you're starting to see those programs as well of how do we integrate people into not this dysfunctional family, but something that will be able to allow people to want to work with us, to use the housing as an attractive tool to get employees to want to work with us, to be able to make it where, hey, you can start a family here and have these options of working with us. And I think that's a new area that I'm starting to see come much more prevalent in the kind of space of recruitment, but also just in the space of how are we moving forward with our physical spaces entirely, if we're not just getting rid of the physical space in general. And a little advice for those mountain communities, um, same thing happened up here in Canada, the community of Banff, uh, you know, housing for yes. the workers up there, uh, and then it burnt down. <laughs> and they only had one. So, you know, it kind of shut this place down for a while. Uh, so, yes, luckily, Canmore is not that bad. That is a beautiful area, too. It is. Uh, come visit us up here. Uh, Carolyn, over to you. I hate I hate to uh, just follow on to that. Both those last two speakers were really, really insightful. Um, as I was just kind of thinking through it all, there's one thing that kind of came up to me when we're talking about managers in the future. You know, you've you've got to really truly think about it when you're taking on a management role because management isn't for everybody. And if that management isn't for you, don't take it. But if you're going to take it, I think Linda and you talked about it before with regards to announcing jobs and making sure you understand in some other conversation we had, how you understand the role that you're getting into. Um, when it comes to these remote environment positions or hybrid positions, what is expected of you? Is it expected for you to be there from eight to five or seven to three? Or can you flex throughout the day, the weekend, whatever? Are we looking at productivity or are we looking at profitability or are we looking at are people on the time clock for every minute that we're accounting for? What are we measuring the time or the pay or those things by? You know, when when we look at the realistic perspective of a job, we may not always get it because as someone else spoke earlier, our terminologies are different. So are we asking those clarifying questions to say, well, I understand culture to be this. How is this specific thing? So you can get the right answers you're asking for. I've seen a lot of turnover in leadership and I've seen a lot of turnover in staff on both sides, you know, both sides there with regards to the environment that we're working in or not working in or perceived to not be working in or working in. It's just kind of a, a back and forth thing. So I think attaining those qualities are important. I think the key thing we've gotten through the whole day is there's not a one size fits all answer to any of this. 
it's going to be a continued growth, development, personal development, as well as organizational development, as well as management, you know, development. There's all those different things. And I think Linda hit right on the nose when she said that we need, I think it was you, Linda, I'm sorry, but we have to have all those skills. Um, you know, we need to have everything pulled together. Um, and if it wasn't Linda, and I apologize for the wrong reference, but it's it's something that we're going to have to continue to agree on, to work on, to get that communication. And every organization, although we may get that firm definition, may have something different. So if we don't ask up front, beware what you buy, you know? So I just, I just thought I'd share that because there's so much that we can continue to this conversation on. And uh, I'm going to look forward to uh, joining Lee later on to have a little bit more of this conversation. And, you know, if you're looking for those skills and exactly what they are, tune in weekly to Work Cookie because uh, we talk about those all the time. Uh, Dr. Ariana, this has been, once again, a great conversation. Um, how did we do? We did amazing. I don't think I've ever seen so many hands up, so many powerful speakers. So I think CBOC brings a lot of expertise to conversations like these. So thanks, everyone who's still here and contributed. We loved hearing from you. Uh, and we're going to keep... Um, the conversation going next week as well. We're going to be talking about uh, e-leadership, the rise of digital leaders and their influence. So Emily, tune in again next week. Uh, we also have, uh, if you're in New England or the North U.S. region, there is an IO Psychology virtual meetup. Uh, that's happening October 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Um, Linda Ann, how is the workshops with Deborah going? They're they're going well. We didn't have the response that we were looking for, so we postponed it for a while because we really want people to have an experience where there's some interaction and um, uh, some group support and things like that. So we will be doing that again probably in March. All right. And uh, spread the word. Let's get that booked up and get that going. Lee, you popping up tonight? Excellent. So uh, where can we find out information about that, Lee? Well, I, I dropped the link to the uh, LinkedIn post in the chat. Um, and for those who come regularly, I have standardized the link. So the same link should work every time we do one. So you put it in your calendar and you'll never miss it. And are you sharing that on LinkedIn as well? I am indeed. Excellent. So we can find Lee wherever he is hiding. Um, <laughs> Well, that's it for everybody. I thank you very much once again for uh, being here this week and being part of Work Cookie. It is great. This is the highlight of my week where I get to spend an hour with some of the smartest people in the world. Uh, so that's it for this week. I'm Dr. Ariana. If you want to count us out, we'll see everyone in one week's time. All right. See you then. Three, two, one. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seaboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seaboc.com.